Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as you're seated, uh, allow me to pray for us. <clears throat> yeah, Father, we come to you and we need to hear from you. But we need you through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the written word, to cut through our, our false pretenses, the way that we hold on to our own wisdom, our own, our own plans for this church, for ourselves and for our growth in Jesus. Lord, you speak powerfully through all of that and lay us bare before you that we would be able to receive what's so much better, your wisdom and your power to the good news about Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, after high school, I worked in construction, and I was a carpentry apprentice, and at the tender age of 18, I would sometimes be left in charge of construction projects. And I remember the first time that I was left in charge of a, a building project, um, we, were, we were framing up a, a duplex, uh, thanks Gareth, um, and we were, uh, we just finished the, the basement floors, and we were now putting the, the floor down. If you guys are familiar with the construction process, you got to put the joists up, then you got to put the, the plywood on with the construction of it, ad adhesive between it, and then you nail it all down. And we were working hard that day. I was very conscious that this is the first time that I was left in charging all the layout and making things work. And we worked hard. And at the end of the day, we stood back and I'm there with my crew and we're evaluating the work that I had done. And my friend who I was working with, who worked for the company I worked for, said, Brant, where are the stairwells? Where are the stairwells? How are people going to go from upstairs to downstairs? It seems that we put a floor over the whole of both sides of this duplex. There's a problem. 
We'd worked hard, but not wisely. And this is on me, not them. No, no, no mistake on their part. Not wisely according to the blueprints. And I remember my friend, he was a good friend of mine. I remember being so shocked. Good Christian kid, grew up in the same circle I grew up in. And he, I remember him swearing at me, being so upset as, as I said, hey man, we're going to have to pull up those nail bars. We're going to go and, and take the saws out and cut a hole and, and, fix, and fix the problem that we had, that I had created. Now, bear with me, but we're going to do a bit of a jump here. I think there's a reality that we're facing here in this church right now that has to do with building. Right? We're, we're all coming out of COVID right now, right? And coming back, maybe going to church for the first time ever for some of us. Um, coming back together after a while uh, for the rest of us. And we all want, I think, something similar in this experience. We want to be built up. Right? We're, we're here to grow up together, to flourish together in, in happiness, in joy, in, in what we are made to be as human beings together and somehow find that in relationship with God. We want to be built up. But what's so important for us to recognize is that for that to happen, we need to follow God's wise blueprints for our lives and for this church. And if we don't be built up, if we aren't built up here according to his wisdom and according to something else, then we're going to suffer loss. What we've built will be deconstructed. So this morning, we're going to look at what Paul continues to teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we've got two points. We're going to look at God's workers in God's church. Two points, God's workers in God's church. And this is a word of context for us as we begin. And, and again, I'll say it. I've said it a lot of times, but I'll keep saying it. it. Context, context, context. If you want to understand the Bible, we have to read it in context. Just a word of context as we jump in. Last week, we looked at the passage that came before this one, before the one that was read this morning, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And in that passage, we saw that Paul was concerned about something in the Corinthians' lives. He was concerned that they'd begun to place their hopes for growth in their lives, for flourishing lives as people, not in the wisdom of God, but in the wisdom of man. Specifically, they begin trusting, sounding sophisticated in the church. They began trusting, just appearing to be wise. They began trusting and trying to associate themselves with different speakers that they thought they could kind of get close to, different preachers and teachers in the church that they could get close to that would work together for their growth. That somehow if I'm associated with that person, then people will esteem me and I will grow. And as a result of trusting in man's wisdom and not God's wisdom shown to us in his generous grace through the cross of Jesus Christ, as a result, they weren't maturing in Jesus. They weren't growing up and displaying the fruit of the Spirit. They were showing the fruit of the flesh. Specifically, Paul mentioned last week, in strife and jealousy and division in the church. And he confronted that. He confronted all of that. And he said, look, guys, you've got the wrong idea about Christian leadership. Paul's not so special. Apollos isn't that special. Cephas isn't that special. All they are are laborers in God's field. Right? They're, they're working away, sure, but there's one person who gives the growth. It's God. He gives the growth, growth by his grace. And then now we come to our passage. Paul's follow, following up very much the same line of argument, and he continues to correct the Corinthians' view of human leaders. But he's actually going to turn the temperature up here. These are some of the most 
significant warnings in the New Testament for the church. And he begins to warn them strongly that not only does growth come from God, but also that Corinthian leaders and Christians in the church, they must stay faithful to Jesus as they're built up in him. They have to. After all, it's not Apollos church, right? There wasn't, there was no uh, uh, Apollos church in Corinth. It was a church of God in Corinth. It wasn't Paul's church in Corinth. They went by as a name. Wasn't Cephas Church in Corinth? We're not uh, Cephas Church City or Cephas City Church uh, here in Vancouver either. We're Christ City Church here in Vancouver. And if it's the church of God, then they must be faithful to God's plan. They will suffer loss when he evaluates the work. So let's look a little deeper at God's workers in our first point in verses 10 to 11. Paul said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So look at verse 10 to begin. Look at how Paul postures his own position as an apostle of God in his church. According to the grace of God, it's given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. You see, Paul's beginning here recognizing that there is grace upon grace upon grace that is over all of the work that he does. He's got a role in the kingdom of God, but it's been given to him. God purposed it. God's behind it. God is causing it to flourish. And what is that role in his kingdom? He says the role of a skilled master builder. Now, I don't know who translated the ESV. I guess I could look at the, you know, the introduction notes in the English Standard Version of the Bible, but clearly did not have a construction guy as part of the committee. Because some of you guys know construction, and I don't know what a master builder is. I mean, maybe you know what a master builder is, but I don't know what he's talking about. I think maybe a better way to talk about this that actually makes sense in our context is that he's talking about himself as the contractor. Like a contractor in God's church, I laid a foundation because of God's grace given to me. And the thing about a contractor is that a contractor doesn't have an especially inventive or creative role in the building project, right? Like if a contractor says, you know what? I like these blueprints, but I've got a better idea. Or he's going to get in trouble both with the, the client who's being built for and also all the engineers and the architects who, who created these plans in the first place. And Paul's saying, look, I am a contractor who followed the architect's design when this church was planted. As a skilled contractor, I laid the foundation, the foundation that was given to us by God. By the grace of God given to me, I had a part in this role, and I laid that foundation to a T. But in Paul's illustration, he says he didn't finish the work that he'd begun. There's a lot of work still to be done. He only laid a foundation and in God's generous plans and purposes, there are other builders that come along in the providence of God to continue the work. That's what he says in verse 10 and 11. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. He's not jealous. He's not upset. He knows in God's providence, that's part of the plan. And someone else is building upon it. But he warns. And let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take care. Pay attention. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, Paul laid a foundation for the church of Corinth on the good news about Jesus. That there's a good God who gave himself in love for his people. Through Jesus Christ dying for us, for our sins. Being raised the third day for our life. So the Spirit of God would fill us and make us new. And he laid that foundation during his first 18 months in Corinth when he stayed there and he shared about Jesus. But now several years have gone by and the the work didn't stop. The builders kept building. They were laboring, but not wisely. They were not laboring wisely. Paul continues his warning in verses 12 to 13. Now, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Six things. It says, each one's work will become manifest for the day. And notice in your Bibles, in the text, how that's a capital D-A-Y. Capital D-A-Y. That's a day of judgment. The day when Christ returns. The day when we stand before God. For the day will disclose the kind of work that's been done. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Christ City, the key issue here is this. Every single church that is a true church in this world and in all of history has one foundation. It's Jesus Christ. But as we live our lives together as a church of Jesus, it's possible for us to become a little creative as contractors. It's possible for us, the leaders of the church in particular, but for the congregation as well, to start thinking, you know what? We know how to really get this thing going. We're going to do things our own way. Paul here, he lays out two categories of material. The wisdom of man, which is represented by the the wood, hay, and straw. The things that aren't valuable, that when the evaluation comes, that work's going to burn up. And on this side, he says, there's this other kind of building that can be done according to the wisdom of God. That's seen in the gold and the silver and the precious stones. And when the fire evaluates that work, it will remain will be seen for what it is in its beauty. You know, I've hesitated to, to include this, but I'm gonna, we're going to go here. Um, there's a really, really good contemporary example of building according to the wisdom of man. Some of you guys know about a church, Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And it's a church that has become very, very popular again because of Christianity Today's podcast, which is uh, recently been produced called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. And if you're not familiar with it, back in the early 2000s, Mars Hill Church, under the leadership of a pastor named Mark Driscoll, it experienced this incredible growth. This incredible growth. There's a Seattle Times article that I saw this week that reported this recently. It said, Mars Hill grew to 15 branches in five states with 13,000 visitors on Sundays. It's a big church. Driscoll appeared on Nightline, preached at Seahawks Stadium, threw out the first pitch in a Mariners game, and founded a network of evangelical leaders who started hundreds of other churches. See, Mars Hill experienced this meteoric rise. 
but then it experienced a cataclysmic failure and the collapse. And after 18 years of ministry in Seattle, Mark, Mark the, the pastor there, was fired. And the church broke up and stopped and became other little churches in its place. Its ministries were disbanded. Even the church planting organization associated with Marshall Church has a hard time still planting churches now on the West Coast because of the history of that church. So what went wrong? Did they preach a different gospel? Was there a different foundation? Unquestionably, no. They preached the gospel of Jesus. They preached the gospel of Jesus in that church. But what went wrong was that they began to rely on growth according to the wisdom of man. Not according to the wisdom of God and the gospel. See, Mars Hill placed a lot of hope for growth on a particular charismatic leader. And Mark is a charismatic guy and a powerful, powerful speaker. They began to place their hope for growth on different technology and opportunities for them in this 2000s era. They were the first church that really had a big podcast ministry. The first church that, that could capitalize on that and have their sermons pumped out far and wide. I guarantee many people in this, in this room have listened to Mars Hill sermons and have probably been edified by them. They put tons of money in video production. They focused on edgy decor and excellent modern music and kind of a grunge-style take on Christian worship. And most importantly, they depended for growth on a domineering attitude and leadership. Start to think about the church a little bit like, like Apple. Okay, taking a Steve Jobs, strong-arm CEO mentality to how the church was run. Rather than a cross-shaped, Christ-like, humble servant leadership. So the wisdom of the world said you could pastor like a CEO, and Marcel applied that wisdom to the church. But Christ City, before we feel too smug about ourselves, we need to realize that we do the same thing that Mars Hill does. Maybe we don't do it the same way, but at the end of the day, what they were doing was trusting in the wisdom and the power of man to get the job done for their growth. And we can do the same thing right here in this church. You know how we do it? One of the ways that we do it is that we trust in our wisdom that says, you know how I can really grow as a Christian? if I'm around the people that I like. You know how I can really grow as a Christian is if I could get a few people that I really like and that really like me and we got a lot in common and we can just kind of keep that little thing going here in this church, that's how we're really going to grow. Right? A selfish orientation that you bring into this church. We do this. <laughs> We do this. What does the cross teach us instead? The cross teaches us instead to die to ourselves and to our preferences. The cross teaches us that we don't need to look for the people that are like us in this church to be in community together with them. The cross teaches us that when we reach out to those who are different from us, when we reach out to those who have nothing in common with us or nothing to give to us, when we do this, imitating Jesus who gave his life for us, then we're going to build with gold and silver and precious stones. We'll be built up according to 
wisdom. You know, we do this another way, though. We also do this. We also build according to the wisdom of man. When we look at the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we look at the Bible, and we say, you know what? I know how I can really grow Christ City Church. We need to adjust a few things in our message here. There's a few things about the Bible that aren't really popular. So if I'm careful in how I talk about Jesus and his word, man, then we'll really win people for him. We just delete a few bits. Then we'll really see this place grow and flourish. Guys, I'm tempted by this. I know you're tempted by it too. And it's leaning on the wisdom of man for our growth as a church. And what does the cross teach us? The cross confronts us with the wisdom of God and shows us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men's wisdom. The cross shows us that the weakness of God is stronger than men's strength. That the message of a foolish and weak cross is enough to get the job done for salvation for all. We can trust his message. You know, we rely as well on our human wisdom whenever we rely on our systems as a church or on our sophisticated approach to ministry in a global city or when we rely on our branding or our aesthetics or domineering attitudes towards one another, especially if it comes from me and Jonathan and Doug and the leadership here at the church. When we rely on the perfect worship experience for growth, when we rely at getting to the theater at 7 a.m. to set up, when we can only show up at 9 a.m., like happened last Sunday. When we rely on these things for our growth, we're just trusting in the wisdom and power of man. And God, God wants us to trust in his wisdom, to build according to his plan. And Paul says a day is coming when the sort of work that we've been doing will be shown for what it is. Verse 13 says this, each one's work will become manifest. What are you building on, Christ City? How are you building For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. How are you building? And this is talking about a day of evaluation when all of us stand before God and he looks and he sees our work as it truly is. Now on that day, if we're relying on ourselves, to be building up this church, we will suffer loss based on the work that we've done. Now, it's important to note this. Paul's very clear. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about something that a few texts in the New Testament talk about that we don't talk about very often, about rewards. We're saved by grace through faith. Praise God, right? Not by our effort, not by our labor, not by our work. But there is an accountability that's going to happen here as we stand before God and he looks at what we've been doing with our lives as Christians. That's important for us to grapple with. And Paul's clear, there's going to be rewards. Christ City, live for some rewards for the glory of Jesus. That's a good thing. Think about your lives. Or on the other hand, suffering loss. Being saved, but suffering loss. Let's live according to his wisdom and his love and his generosity shown by God to us in the cross, that when we look 
at our work at that day, when we stand before him, we will have an inheritance of beauty and glory and rewards as we stand before him. We hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look again at verses 14 to 15. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul warns the church in Corinth that the task church leaders are given is to build according to God's blueprint because their work will be evaluated. But he adds to that warning, not only are we talking about being faithful as God's workers, the thing that we're called to build up is God's church. We're God's workers, got to be faithful, but it's God's church that we are building. Look at verses 16 to 17 in our second point. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So you got to get the picture in your mind. Ancient Corinth was this incredibly diverse city. It was a, a Roman colony in Greece. That meant that there were temples to Roman gods all over the place. One after the other, after the other, after the other. There are also temples to Greek gods all over the place in Corinth. One after the other, after the other, after the other. Corinth was also the gateway to the east and to the west. And that meant there were temples to eastern gods all over the place. They were a city full of temples. They knew what a temple was. And they knew that when you went to the temple, what would happen is you'd walk up to this temple and you'd see the inscription, the name to Athena, to whoever it might be. And you'd walk in and as you got inside the temple, you'd see all of the idols and you'd know exactly which temple you were in. You knew whose image was represented there. But notice what Paul says. And he's He's speaking rhetorically. He's rebuking them. Do you not know? Don't you get it, Corinth? Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Christ said, the God of Christianity doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells in a people. That's amazing. He lives here, in each of you, God's spirit dwells in you. And where we have y'all in American English to communicate you plural, we don't have anything in, you know, normal English. But you need to realize that, that here, this is plural you. He's not speaking, we, we, we had it in our confession this morning, but our body's been the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing that we're going to get into a little later in Corinthians. Here he's talking very specifically. He's saying, you, together, corporately, are God's temple. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit isn't just in you individually. It's here. It's in you. It's in you. See, we are together God's temple. That means for the world to go out and look and see God. They don't go walk into a building with an inscription on the doorway and idols inside of it. They come around the church. They meet you. They see how you live day in and day out with one another. And that's how they see God. And that means that 
we destroy God's temple. I mean, let this land on us really, really hard. We destroy God's temple. When we live together as a community in ways that are inconsistent with God's own character. We commit a sacrilege to God. When we live in a way together that's inconsistent with his own character. And Paul gives the strongest warning, or one of them anyway, in the New Testament about what happens when we do this. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That's intense. For God's temple is holy, and you, all of you, Christ City, you are that temple. Christ City, we are the temple of the Most High God. That's amazing. That ought to lead us to worship. To just be in awe that that's who he's made us to be. But that means a couple of things that are important for us. It means that we're not a social club. It means that we don't come here to get what we want from the other people that are here and leave and go our own ways. It means that it's a serious thing, an amazing, weighty, and powerful thing that we are constituted in Christ as the church, the dwelling place of God. It means that we must never take church, us, lightly. It means that your relationships here might be the most important thing about you as a member of God's building. Because as you grow to love and serve one another, as God has loved you, according to his wisdom, as he's given himself for you on the cross, as that shapes your life, you display that God as you live together. You display him in your interactions with one another. So petty divisions, squabbles, differences of opinion that that just get under our skin and cause us to want to separate from one another, different political allegiances, all of these things, they are not allowed to divide us here at Christ City. We are one in Christ. We are one temple filled with one spirit in Jesus We've got to put those things to death. We've got to pursue this Jesus who's loved us so much that we can learn to love one another according to the wisdom of God. So that there's this awesome result. So that we become the fragrance of life to those who are perishing. So we become the fragrance of life on the streets of Vancouver in a city that's full of division and death. Okay, I love bakeries. And this is a good illustration because I love bakeries. And look, I love bakeries and I'm gluten-free. Right? I, I love bakeries and I can't even eat the goods. But when I walk down the sidewalk in Vancouver and I smell, I smell Boku just down on fur or pine or wherever it is, or I smell another one of the good berry, b- bakeries here. Man, it's like I have that, that cartoonish transcendental experience where, where the, there's the vapor smells up here and I smell it and I'm lifted off of my feet and I'm, and I'm just carried down the road towards the good things in the bakery. Like, it's amazing. And even though I'm gluten-free, the smell is enough. It's just good to smell it. It's amazing. But Christ City, the good news about what this means for us is that there's something gloriously amazing that we're called to in a passage like this one. So as we share the love of God that we've received with one another, we become a people that are like the fragrance of the best bakery in Vancouver. So that when your neighbor meets you, 
They smell something about you that's different. They smell life on you. They smell Jesus in you. And for this to happen, there's just one thing that's necessary. We must live according to the wisdom of the cross and self-giving and sacrificial love. Look at verses 18 to 23. Let no one deceive himself. Paul's really intense here. Again, this is just full of strong, strong rhetoric. Let no one deceive himself. Stop believing stupid things, Corinth. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Building according to our wisdom is foolish. God sees it for what it is. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Don't do it. Why? Because there's something so much better. Because in the gospel, according to God's wisdom, what does he say? For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. See, in these verses, Paul is beginning to summarize this whole argument that he's been making since chapter one. He said, there's one way for unity. There's one way for maturity. There's one way to flourish. There's one way to grow up and be built up as a church. And it's not according to human wisdom or power. It's just not going to work that way. It's according to the wisdom and the power of God and his grace and generous selfless love shown to us the cross of Jesus, period. And Paul says, God is too wise to let us get away with our foolishness and depending on our human wisdom. He's like a hunter that catches the most wily foxes using their wit against them and not letting them go. So I catch the wise in their craftiness. And I'm doing it to stop you in your tracks so that you'd see there's something so much better that's available to you in the gospel. That my wisdom and my power through the cross is better, is better. God wants to give us everything in Christ, Christ City. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. You know, this past weekend, I, I took my kids trick-or-treating on Saturday. Because on Broadway, in West Broadway, there's this trick-or-treating awesome experience where all afternoon the businesses are open for kids. As we go up and down, and it's this amazing way for us to continue to meet our neighbors, to share some of the love of Christ. Hopefully they get that fragrance of the bakery kind of rolling in my neighborhood and meeting the people that live there. And what happened is my kids came home with these bags of candy. There's a lot of candy in them but it was a finite amount of candy. And no sooner had we gotten home that they opened those bags and they started squabbling and fighting with one another. <laughs> right? They're like, that's my candy. And meanwhile, there's this enormous bag with them. Like, that's my candy. I want that candy. They fought over it. Do you know why we fight with one another? Do you know why we compete with one another? Do you know why the Corinthians did it? It's because we're afraid we don't have enough. 
Because we live in fear that we don't have enough for ourselves. The Christ City verses 21 to 23 that I just read, that reminds us that because of God's wisdom in Christ, ours is not a limited bake of candy. Our inheritance in Jesus is all things. Is all things. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or a life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Through the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, not even death can stop us from having enough. We have all things in Jesus. The day is coming when we will stand before him and the tears will be wiped from our crying eyes. And we are given all things, inheriting a world without sin or death or suffering any longer. All things are ours presently in Jesus because of his spirit. So whatever you're going through right now, the Spirit of God is with you. God is ministering to you in your hardship and your suffering. Opening up your hearts, reminding you that he loves you, that there's no one who is more for you than him. In Jesus, you have enough as God is working by his spirit to transform and change you and take you from the person that you are struggling with your sin right now and mold you differently and shape you into the image of his son. All things are ours, so much so that God promises that even the bad things that happen to us in this life are not going to be used against us but they can only ever work out for our good because he loves us. All things are ours in Jesus. And that means that here as a community, we can give up what's ours. We can sacrifice it to serve one another because we have enough. We have enough. So, are you hungering to be built up? Is that why you're here? Are you hungering to grow? Are you hungering to feel life in its fullness? There's an invitation for you here in this text, and it's this. It's come join us in worshiping this Savior because he's unbelievably good. He's unbelievably generous to us who screw it up all the time. He's patient and he's kind. I want to invite you to join with us in worship and losing yourself in loving him and knowing him and the fullness of his love more and more and more so that you will be changed to no longer be that selfish, wisdom of man person that keeps making a mess of things. Drink deeply from the well of the love and mercy of God and then you will grow up 
in Jesus. Grow up with him and with us here. I want to invite you to do that now as we pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that because of Jesus, we lack nothing. Because of Jesus, we have everything. Father, for those that are wrestling with this and not sure where they land and not sure what they think of you, Lord, I pray that you would just help them to see this morning a glimpse of how good and real you are. And they start to hunger and thirst for what you can only give them. Life in the fullness. That they would come to you and receive from your generosity all that they need so that you would change them, so that they would begin to build up part of this body of Christ, becoming part of this body of Christ here at this church, build up together in maturity in Jesus. Father, would you help us to grow in him? In Jesus' name, amen.